Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Daily Friend Wrap. I'm your host, Nicholas Lorimer, and I'm joined today by Mr. Herman Pretorius. So let's uh, not uh, waste any more time and get into the news of today. And the first one is that, well, I've seen the story floating around a bit, but I thought I needed someone to explain it to me, and that is the government's new draft regulations with regards to water licenses. Doesn't sound very interesting, but Herman, what is the problem with these things? It seems kind of like uh, they're a bit crazy from what I've heard. Can you explain the problem? Yes. Um, the, quite briefly, um, parliamentary legislation allows for ministers to, in certain respects, issue regulations. So you've got the constitution as a framework for the normative ideals of any state or government in South Africa. Then you've got a bit more granular and practical than that. You've got parliamentary legislation to make the ambitions of the government in its pursuit or in its pursuit of its constitutional obligations a bit more real. And then within that, below that, you've got regulations. Um, right. The regulations are meant to make practical the legislative ideas. And part of the water and sanitations department or the minister in charge of that department's job is, of course, to make regulations regarding water. And they have done so. And in the most recent uh, version of the regulations published, they put in severe um, racial requirements that water licensing must be awarded, not primarily based on the almost 11 factors, I think it is, that the High Court and the law has acknowledged, but that one of them, racial redress, must essentially trump them all. So if you want water for an agricultural and manufacturing or some sort of industrial or commercial initiative, and you have a skin that is not the favorite color of the government, Perhaps this time around, you might be okay, but definitely down the line, the idea of white people not getting water rights because they are white or colored people or Indian people because they are colored or Indian, that's becoming a real reality, as absurd as it sounds. This is complete madness, and I can see almost no justification for it, except for the government's ideological desire to sort of order society in some imagined I don't know, structure that's, that's kind of in their minds, because how does the color of your skin come into whether you need to use water on an industrial or agricultural scale? It just seems because crazy. It's, if, if we take the Marxism seriously, this is going beyond seizing the means of production. This is going to seizing the means that make production possible in the first place, in the sense that if you want to transform the agricultural sector, you can try to transform land ownership. We've seen that fail. We've seen that being done quite responsibly. You can try with government initiatives to boost agricultural activity from black commercial farmers. But in the end, every failure that you encounter, you have to go to an alternative. So my suspicion, and this hasn't been, of course, expressed as explicitly as that. But this smacks to me as an attempt by um, the ANC uh, to transform the question of agricultural activities in the agricultural economy and bleeding through from that to a land ownership sort of nudge of the overall discussion. Uh, it really is quite sickening, um, especially if you consider that uh, the quotas required by the regulations don't really match the demographic distribution of the industry or the sector as it currently is. It expects levels of racial quotas 
higher than sectoral participation in areas like agriculture. So it really is sickening. It really is absurd. But this shouldn't surprise us if we look, if we rewind the clock three years to uh, the height of the COVID pandemic and the height of the pressure on our tourism industry, it was this right. government that then said, you get help to get through COVID if you're black enough. Right. And of course, like almost all of these racial pro pro procurement and preferential treatment kind of policies is that they don't actually help really the people that they're meant to help. You're not suddenly going to get the, uh, a huge number of black farmers who weren't able to access water, able to access water now. Um, it's, it's so it's, it's, it's hurtful without really helping anyone. Out. Right, exactly. Uh, utter madness. Anyway, let's move on to something else. And this is uh, some comments made a little while ago by Momentum Health Solutions, uh, who are medical aid scheme or, or, or healthcare provider, um, health insurance provider rather, who are very worried about the national health insurance plan that the government is pushing forward. In fact, they think um, that it's really going to destroy the private sector and that this doesn't need to be the case. In fact, they go on to point out that there are about 6 million South Africans who, if the government reduced some of the regulations on medical aid schemes, would be able to afford at least some private health care through. Uh, so what currently happens is the government says that regardless of how much you're charging, uh, uh, the, the scheme has to cover a certain number of benefits, um, regardless of what you necessarily want, which means that very low income people who are just on the edge of not being able to afford medical aid are essentially kept out because if you have to cover a certain number of benefits, you have to inflate the price of your product. Uh, so in theory, what we could get is more poor people essentially into the private healthcare system. So Momentum has put this forward and I think it's really important to point out the solutions don't all have to be government centric. The private sector can have an expanded role if we reduce the uh, uh, the regulatory burden on them, and we can get more people into functioning hospitals rather than people having to risk the dangers of the public healthcare system, which as anyone who has been to a public hospital knows are not great. Uh, and yet, this is all good stuff coming out of Momentum Health Solutions. You know, the corporate world has been pretty slow, I think, to, to really fight back against NHI, but they are starting to do it now. Um, and then the sort of NH, uh, the uh, Momentum goes on to say, and you know this this plan to increase the uh, the number of our plan to increase the number of poorer people with access to healthcare is not even in conflict with the national health insurance. It will enable NHI to happen even faster. And then I just beat my head against the floor because that's kind of missing the point. NHI, you can't make it work. At least not with the current not not with any of the realities that we have in our government right now. Herman, what's your take on this? Do you agree with me? I do. And I'm getting a sort of a deja vu here to a few years ago, five years or so ago, when uh, expropriation without compensation, uh, the constitutional amendment to the property rights clause and the Bill of Rights, when that came about, there was this simmering idea, uh, especially in your commercial farming sectors, um, that they could strike a deal with the government. I think it was Agri-SA who at a conference, at a meeting, at a public meeting where one of our colleagues happened to be, floated this idea that the commercial farming sector might be willing to sell out the smaller farmers, the family farmers, 
so right. that the land of those farmers might be expropriated so as to protect the food security of South Africa. That thing was then blown up, and thank God for the IRR. But then we go back a bit further in history, and it reminds of the mining charter, that wonderful stifling pillow over South Africa's mining potential that for a century led the world in gold and platinum production, where they thought if we could just give enough, they will meet us halfway. If we could just compromise on the values, they will meet us halfway. If we can just shoot just a small amount of the hostages, the terrorists will let us go. That is what this thing reeks of me, reeks of to me. It is worrying that they veer so close to coming to the conclusion that state interference isn't the solution, it's the problem, only then to in the last moment, you know, fall flat on their faces and say, oh, Oh, but, you know, perhaps having tried to defend the principle, we will we will cede the ground that the NHI is worth pursuing. Right. And, and of course, government is not going to meet them halfway, regardless of what I think it might say behind closed doors, because it doesn't really see the need to. It believes that its strategy will work. And even if it doesn't think its strategy would work, the patronage benefits of creating a system like the NHI, which is essentially a state-owned enterprise, which as I'll colleague Terence Corrigan says, will have no other job other than the collection and spending of money. And if you don't think that that's a recipe for an incredible amount of corruption, um, I have many financial products for which to sell you. Uh, right, so, yeah, go ahead. Very, very quickly, very, very quickly on the NHI. I, there, there was a response from, from uh, the government side a few weeks ago saying, you know, to the common attacks leveled against the NHI. One of them was that this wouldn't stifle, this wouldn't suffocate the private sector health uh, care system in South Africa. The problem is, yes, it won't do so deliberately. It's not saying ye shall have no private medical care. But what it does is it controls what medical care providers can offer as services. It right. controls what they can charge for those services. And it controls the medication that could be given in those services and what they cost. So it's not it's not destroying pub, private health care. It's just essentially starving it of food, oxygen, and water. And it's making it available to only the super rich, uh, who will be the only ones with enough money to afford the greatly reduced and more specialized packages that the surviving medical aids will be able to provide. Um, and this is kind of been pointed out by the architect of the NHI, Dr. Nicholas Crisp, who I believe said, oh, I think we'll see some, uh, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here a little bit, so forgive me some inaccuracy, but uh, we'll see a reduction from 75 medical aid schemes to about 12, um, which <laughs> means he's in favor of monopolizing the industry and reducing the amount of competition, which I think is just crazy. Uh, but anyway, that is all the time we have for today, and we hope that you found it interesting, and as ever, that's a wrap.